Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This episode of the Cult Popshire podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch, get up to two extra exclusive podcasts a month, give us something to talk about in the post-credit scenes at the end of each episode, or even contribute to the discussion in the episode itself, then please consider joining the cult and donating at www.patreon.com slash cultpopture. So it's it's really hot today here in New Zealand and both the cities we live in. Makes me wish we'd bloody recorded this before sunset. Or after or before no, before sunrise when it would still be dark. Before sunrise when it would still be dark. There we go. We are recording before sunset. I mean we're also recording before sunrise because time is a loop. And before midnight. And and a flat circle and everything we mm. have done we are destined to do again. Such as this podcast. Welcome everybody. My to the name wild, is AJ. Wild West. <laughs> and I'm joined by old Cowboy Richard over there. We're doing a cowboy episode. <laughs> Uh, this Covering the f- rootinest, tootinest films <laughs> the side franchise. of the Mississippi. <laughs> uh, this is film franchise Fortnite. So every fortnight we discuss a film franchise, usually either chosen at random or chosen by our patrons, patrons over at patreon.com slash Uh We've been doing this for years and today is a momentous day, one we're looking forward to, and it is of course Valentine's Day. We're, or just before Valentine's Day when you're listening to this. Yeah, if you so live in one of, those, Day. one of those, um, you know, fascist states where it's not Valentine's Day. South of the Day equator. Mm. <laughs> South? West of the equator. Mm. Wait, by, here the in, equator? by here in freedom time, it's, it's <laughs> Valentine's Day. Um, yeah, so we are covering the Before Trilogy, um, this franch- this fortnight on film franchise, Four Nights. This was suggested by our patrons, um, and we were like, give us a, uh, a Valentine's Day, a love-themed one, and we'll do whatever you guys pick. And this was neck and neck with Fifty Shades of Grey Trilogy, and I, I at the time I was like, you know, like, I, I really like the Before Trilogy, but... I'm not, I mean, I could be partial to watching the Fifty Shades trilogy as well. And now here we are two weeks later, and boy, am I glad that I didn't spend the last two weeks watching the Fifty Shades movies, <laughs> because I was able to revisit these wonderful films and bathe in their franchisium glory. <laughs> and we also get to admire each other's franchiseled good looks. <laughs> very good, very good. So yeah, welcome everybody to our discussion on Richard Richard Linklater's Before Trilogy. I've said the name Richard so many times on this podcast, and I just fucked it up there. <laughs> <laughs> So for this episode, we're going to go maybe more appropriately with any other franchise and have a conversation about these three films about conversations. 
Uh, the Before Trilogy consists of Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. Please watch them before you listen to this podcast, because we're not very spoiler-friendly here, and I really think people should should watch these wonderful films. Uh, they were released across nine-year intervals in 1995, 2004, and 2013, and follow the romantic highs and lows of Jesse, an American man, played by Ethan Hawke, and Celine, a French woman, played by Julie Delpy, as they discuss everything from love to movies to animal abuse at one point to um, porn to nothing at all. A lot of the conversations are very philosophical is is kind of the point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And each film takes place uh, at various points within one day in three separate countries. And what time of day do each of them take place in? I'll give you a clue uh, before sunrise sunset or midnight depending on the film um so all three films have made their way into the criterion collection as well as receiving plenty of awards love and critical ecstasy over the past 30 years the before trilogy is considered by many to be one of the greatest film trilogies of all time and we may even agree with that sentiment ourselves We'll find out. Uh, Their tomatoes are fresh. Their Ebertian stars are generous. And uh, last year, The Independent listed it as number three on their list of greatest film trilogies of all time, being beaten only by Lord of the Rings and the original Star Wars trilogies, which aren't trilogies. I'm sorry. Mm. They have more films in the series. I do not count that as a trilogy, um, especially not in the grand scheme. So we may as well consider before to be the best trilogy then if those two are disqualified um interestingly of those top 10 trilogies the only ones we haven't covered on the podcast outside of star wars uh was the living dead trilogy which started the list at number 10 and is also definitively not a trilogy <laughs> with more films that came out after it uh, and the apu trilogy which is an indian trilogy that i've barely heard of uh, that came in just before before uh at number four <laughs> words are fun aren't they (laughs) they are and it's not the last time i've had we're gonna be using them on this podcast (laughs) um also included was indiana jones um on this list which is also not a trilogy um and so all i'm saying is that if four out of five of your top 10 trilogies aren't trilogies it really weakens the integrity of your listicle Mm. you know that's my feedback to the independent thank you very much I'm excited, Richard. Are you excited? We're we're here. We've been doing this podcast for six over six years, mm-hmm. and here we are. We're going. We're finally talking about what many would say is the best one, and I think that's interesting. Yeah, and let's get on with it. All right. Before Sunrise came out in 1905, directed by Richard Linklater. What do you think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? Hundred percent. As a hundred percent, as a, as a fair Ron warning, Tomatoes. I know all the Ron Tomatoes skills. I bet, bet you do. Uh, and <laughs> can you tell me? And I have a backup in case you get it wrong. <laughs> what is Before Sunrise about? What What would I get wrong? I know, just I just always do backups in case, but for this, I probably didn't need to. But. Um, okay, so we start on a train. It's going from mm. uh, Budapest back to. Uh, Paris, presumably. Um, mm, and A year rail. Yeah. And uh, Jesse is, uh, played by Ethan Hawke, is on his way to uh, Vienna to catch a flight back to the United States after he had 
uh, well, it's later revealed in the film that he was visiting his girlfriend and they broke up while he's here. Um, and he has a chance encounter with this French woman named Celine, played by Julie Delpy, um, who is uh, going back to university in Paris. Um, she's been visiting her grandmother, who was ill. Um, mm-hmm. They strike up a conversation and the, the, the immediate chemistry is palpable, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so... Jesse, after a nice, quite a nice conversation, Jesse hops off the train and then, uh, you know, comes back onto the train, but the very kind of like, ah, oh, I'm going to regret this if I don't shoot my shot. He comes back onto the train. They're stopped in Vienna and he says, get off the train with me. Uh, he says, like, think about this, uh, you know, you're an old woman looking back on your life. You're always going to wonder, like, I should have gone off the train with that guy and says, like, we'll just let's, I've got a flight in the morning. I don't have enough money for somebody to stay. So I was just going to walk around Vienna all night. Do it with me. Let's just take this mm. chance and do it together. And she eventually gets off the train and uh, they, yeah, the, the, the entire movie essentially like to boil it down is them walking around Vienna together and slowly yeah. falling in love. And they have, as I said, it's uh, the, the movie is ent- almost entirely just conversational um, mm-hmm. and, you know, slowly getting more intimate and you can sort of see the the chemistry build between the two characters. Um, but yeah, so along the way, things like they meet these two, um, like what I think is like, and we'll touch back on this, I think, but this really like well-performed, these two actors they run into, mm-hmm. like the, the characters are actors who invite them to their play. And there's just like this really nice little bit of acting from it's the first people they run into they say like what can we do in vienna and they say oh we're actually in a play you should come see it it's called bring me the horns of wilmington's cow and (laughs) but um they go up to them and they say do you guys speak english and one of them says like oh do you speak german for a change and but as he does it he's like fiddling something with something with his fingers it looks always like looks like he's like picking a fingernail or something like that and then kind of like turns around and throws it away and as he says like oh no it's a joke and it's it's one of those like beautiful acting choices that absolutely mm. does not feel like acting and watching the film again <laughs> it's one of those things that so stood out to me yeah <laughs> you're celebrating the, the acting performances of this film and don't go for Ethan Hall <laughs> or Julie Delpy and why it's such so well performed. I mean, so yeah, then they go to a record store and they um, they flip through. They go to this listening room together. It's the photo on Instagram. It's this beautiful, very intimate, stolen glances kind of moment as they listen to a song. Um, what else do they do? Um, they kiss on a Ferris wheel. Yeah, they kiss on a Ferris wheel. They get um, a poem written for them by this guy. And, um, yeah, it's, it's essentially, so they go through all these things. They go to a bar, find some, get some wine, and then sort of spend the rest of the night in a park. And they talk about whether or not they're going to have sex. They kind of agree not to. And then it's it's left, it's left ambiguous whether or not they do, um, in this film at least. And then the next morning, uh, Jesse has to leave to catch his flight. And they've sort of talked about, like, let's not exchange numbers. Let's not write letters because it just gets depressing and you fall out of touch. Uh, and they, but then as they're leaving, they're like, oh fuck, I don't want to fall out of touch. I, I really, really care about you, and I want to see you again. So they say, let's meet here again in six months' time, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll pick this up, kind of thing. Um, and again, the film, for this film at least, leaves it ambiguous as to whether or not they're going to actually meet mm. each other again. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, and what do you think of this film, Richard? 
you you cynical old man what are you that you, you that you're not at all warmed by the glow of before sunrise <laughs> um all right well so uh i'm i'm going to try and be like as as honest and vulnerable as i can during this episode i think it's appropriate for valentine's day yeah so uh I, yeah i i am you know I, I i know i come across as a cynical old man and that's that's the image that i've put forward on this podcast but deep down <laughs> i'm i am like a romantic i like to believe in love i love the you know the idea of of love love and even watching like shitty romantic comedies at netflix time there's still a part of my body that is warmed to see like if, when we talked about tall girl on a mm. most disappointing episode recently and the the sort of the romantic conclusion of that film still sparks something within me. <laughs> so my history with these films, glad you asked. So I wa- I first watched Before Sunrise and Before Sunset in about two thousand nine, um, mm-hmm. and they at the time it was you you know there's this perfect duology of films. There's these two films. That's all there is. That's all there's ever going to be, right. and they're perfect. And so I watched them. I watched them quite late one night in bed. And I absolutely fell in love. I, the, 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 I on Watching them again, I forget how probably these are some of the most important films I've ever seen mm-hmm. to me. Uh, yeah. Like the, the, the watching Before Sunrise marks a change in my life where i became a movie guy you know where i stopped being a film guy like i was for most of high school oh sorry stopped being a music guy like i was for most of high school and became a movie guy and yeah i think uh watching it when i did i was um would have been what 16 17 and i was probably just in the early stages of my like first serious relationship or hadn't even had it yet and yeah, the way I looked at the world and the way I looked at love was very in line with Before Sunrise. This is, you, you know, you watch this mm. and this is like the ideal. This is the best love you could ever, this is the best romantic experience you could ever hope to have. And it's this perfect yeah. little package. And I've always, I mean, well, probably probably started by this. I've always loved like movies where it's just people conversing most of the way through. Um, and mm-hmm. this is kind of the gold standard of that. Um, I've often cited Ethan Hawke as one of my favorite actors. That's because of these films. Um, mm-hmm. I, I w- wouldn't know who he was if it was if it wasn't for these films. Yeah, I, I truly think that this this film and this trilogy is absolutely perfect. And I could I could do a two hour podcast on this by myself. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, I'll stop recording then. <laughs> and it is, like, it's almost one of these things as well that, like, cause, AJ, so, I'd actually prefer if you weren't here. Yeah, <laughs> can you please leave? <laughs> what? So, because because th- that is the thing that people have been like, uh, people have been watching along on the Discord and and yourself and like writing these um, writing these reviews for the film with like, yeah, this film fucks. You're like, this film makes my bussy wet. And to me, it's like <laughs> this is the most pure like beautiful love i have for a film and everyone be like fuck it's hot and it's like and it's th- like these hey, films hey they're not mutually exclusive feelings i would i would um, argue but like these yeah th- these 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 films are truly like for a long time felt like mine as you know especially before bef- hmm. before before midnight came out and sort of brought it again into the spotlight it was like these two little hidden gems that were only mine and hmm. <laughs> 
to lead into your um experience of the film i actually remember your experience of the film um and this is this is the fun aj the other aj story i teased last week or last episode so the year is 2014 boyhood is in cinemas obviously richard linklater's other big experimental um you know time time, people changing do you do you remember the course of what what are you going to talk so about? So you and I, um, we we were we studied together in 2013 and 2014. Yes. You, yeah, you you'd left and, and I was still there, and we ran into each other in the cinema at Boyhood. Okay. Um, and I, <laughs> this is another one of these classic stories where you come off like a pretentious dick, and you don't remember it. You don't remember the times I don't come off as a pretentious dick. So so. Yeah, at, at the end of the film. Well, I don't even remember running to you, to you at the cinema. To yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and you, you're with a couple of your friends and you, we, I think it might have been after the film, we sort of said, oh, what do you think? Kind of thing. And you're like, yeah, we just watched um, this. Uh, the, the director made this trilogy of films called... And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah, the uh, before sunrise, before sun... And like, so you made them nine years apart. And I was like, yeah, I yeah, know. And then... Um, and you were like, yeah, like, and, and you just kept on like kept on explaining the films to me, and I said like, yeah, I know them, I'd seen them, and it's oh, one of these that must things have infuriated what, you. Yeah, well, the, I was I was thinking that, like this week that it's like this, but like like I think like the thing that annoyed me was that you 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 couldn't even comprehend that someone else knew these films that you wouldn't even listen to me, and it, and I was trying to think that, like this would be like if if you and I went to the premiere of Uncharted. And I was like, yeah, the same studio made this trilogy called Jack and Dexter. Um, and you'd be like, yeah, I'll play them and play. Yeah, no, we just discovered them. It's like about this little ocelot. <laughs> ocelot? It's about an ocel, actually. Uh, Richard, I'm here to tell you I am almost certain I just probably couldn't hear you in the cinema. Because I cannot hear people. <laughs> it's a real problem that's persisted for years. But it, it, is, it is funny that um, the way... Uh, like you would never just assume I hadn't seen or heard of something. No. Now. Well, I don't think I did it then. I think I probably just no, couldn't you hear what you're saying. And it set our friendship back several years. <laughs> the podcast could have started earlier. Yeah. Um, if, if instead of that you'd said, uh, like when we we're talking about Boyhood, if you'd said, "Do you know what? We should start a podcast about films together." Because, like, you, you would have seen Richard Linklater's before trilogy, right? And I'd be like, "Yeah, of course." And then. You know, we could have. We could That'll have be our first episode. <laughs> well, very interesting. And you, you did tell me you had another story, and I was like, God, why can't you remember the good times? You're like a character from one of these movies. You also haven't remember. remembered. You haven't remembered any positive stories about me pre-podcast. Well, why would I share positive stories when you don't share positive? Well, you haven't stories? shared any stories. Okay. Well, I remember going to a party. And seeing you there, and we were good friends, and everyone said you were a mini me, which is funny because you're older than me. That was the first conversation we ever had. <laughs> is that not romantic <laughs> that I remember that? <laughs> um, yeah. So no, you, you were just I, like, all right, memory, memory one. All right, cool. <laughs> That's a memory for Richard. Don't I'll need to save anymore. <laughs> um, I yeah. So I I'd never heard of these films until probably after Before Midnight came out. Hmm. 
So I didn't have that. So I'm actually kind of jealous that you were able to experience at least one of them in real time um, as they came out because I just knew of them after they were already out. Mm. I mean, you'd see it in conversations on Reddit threads, like what's yeah. the best film trilogy? And people would be like the before trilogy and it'd be like, what's this art house bullshit that I'm never going to watch, you know, mm. because I'm 21 and don't care about things. Um, that's not true. I probably care less about things now than I did at 21. Um, so the the yeah so i i watched the only two times i've seen these films have been watching them all back to back like i've never just watched one and not watched the others um and yeah, yeah so speaking of before um sunrise because i have to really concentrate to remember which one i'm talking about with the first two um before before i uh, so yeah, my feelings on Before Sunrise, um, like you, I very much love this film and I think that it's so rare to get a romance movie that's not also a rom-com. When people say, when people talk about romance, they're almost exclusively discussing rom-coms and I feel like this is not really a comedy. Yeah, it's a rom. By any, yeah, it's a rom. And how rare are rom. roms? <laughs> I feel like we haven't co- covered any roms on this podcast before. Mm. You know, only ever comms, rom-coms. Um, and I think the the acting in this movie is brilliant. I think the script is brilliant. I think the direction is brilliant. Um, and the first time I watched this movie, I remember feeling that the moment I fell in love was, you mentioned it before, the, the stolen glances at the listening booth mm. um, in the record store, how they're like out of sync, like one will look at the other and then look away and then the other. And like this is nested in a film which has already cranked out a couple of long takes like one one takes for mm. you you know that have just been full conversations and i just it's so beautiful and it's so wonderfully hopeful and um i think that the the something that that i think is really fascinating for me um personally is that this was my as i said this is my second watch of the whole trilogy and the only other time i saw them was eight years ago um and so i'm just shy of having essentially the same experience that jesse and Celine mm. have in the second film um and the main thing i'm struck by re-watching this one now is how young they are in mm. before sun uh sunrise they're so hot they're both so yeah. hot um <laughs> this is the hottest one <laughs> this is the one where they're at their hottest yeah, yeah. and i think that that um when i was younger when i watched them i was younger than them and now re-watching them i'm slightly closer in age to what the, who, how old they are in the second film and that has added a new lens to this film i think because now i can see their um sort of reckless young yeah throw it into the wind romance as being both reckless but also it taps in to what love really is even still you know no matter what age you are Mm. yeah that's very attractive i I, um you know and not not to just one up you immediately uh it's been exactly nine years since I watched these films. Um, uh, so I do have that experience. But so I, I watched. The, you said you watched them when you were like 16. Yeah. And they, so, they, oh, yeah. No, I, I watched them a bunch of times. So I watched them when I was 16 in 2009 and then watched this perfect trilogy, a hand, the perfect duology, a handful of times. And then. And so th- this is kind of the, the interesting thing as well. Like, not like, I feel like this is kind of one of those franchises we need to have like a general discussion about the entire thing rather than going film by film because so oh, much. I wish is, you'd told me yeah. that before I spent four hours writing up a <laughs> movie by movie plan. But so I watched 
the, the I, f- I first saw this trilogy when I was in a very sort of similar state in my life, despite you know the the, the ages and stuff, um, to the first to how they are in the first film, and then I rewatched it again in um, anticipation of Before Midnight coming out, and at the time I showed it to my girlfriend who was a very sort of. Uh, we're probably, I think we've been together about a year. And so it was really at that sort of like analysis of the relationship stage. And then I watched um, and like, you know, could this actually be something more, yada, yada, yada. And then watching them again now, I haven't seen them in nine years and I've now been in a relationship for five years. And so it is like, it, you know, if you've seen before, but night, it sounds really dark to say, but it is like, we are a lot closer to mm. before midnight than before sunrise. Yeah. Um, and well, it's like, and I'm still only, I'm still closest in age to, uh, probably halfway between before sunrise and sunset. So they're 23 and sunrise, they're 32 and sunset. Right. Okay. Well, then I'm different. So we're closer to 32. <laughs> right. Yeah. I thought they were like 25. No. Um, well, look, you're the one that brought up one, one upping each other's experiences of this movie. And maybe that's a fun thing to, to ruin our feelings for each other and this trilogy by um, making a <laughs> competitive thing of who likes these movies more. But you introduced a numerical value that was one off. <laughs> and so you're like, you're like you know, because obviously, you know, as these films teach us, love is something that's hard to quantify. The number eight and the number nine are pretty easy to quantify. And one's better. <laughs> You're the one who's turned it into, I'm saying that that I would argue that the fact that I've only ever seen them once eight years ago is more powerful than I've seen them a bunch of times, but the last time was nine years ago. Uh, I disagree. <laughs> I think I think the fact I think the fact that I'm able to relate to each film differently because I watched them at three different times in my life is actually better than yours. You watched the first two at the same time of your life. What do you mean you've watched them all? Yeah, at I've, times I've watched them all at different times in my life, but right. for a while there was only two. Uh, this movie, this first one, is, I've written here, it's true twee. It is uncorrupted, unpretentious, unabashed twee. I think this movie's vibe is uh, what Zoe Deschanel wishes her brand was. Uh, but twee is so appropriated these days by like big ukulele that it hardly ever feels authentic. And this this movie just feels so authentic. And it's like, you know, it's like this movie doesn't know it's beautiful. And that's one of the other things that I like about it. Do you have any favorite moments that we haven't talked about yet in the film or favorite lines or anything you um, want? Well, obviously... Bring me the head of Wilmington's cows. Uh, bring me the horns of Wilmington's cow. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it is interesting watching this now. Uh, I mean, this isn't necessarily a favorite moment. It's it's um, the opposite of what. <laughs> um, but it, 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 no, it's it's not even a complaint. But it, it is interesting watching it now, slightly older. Because when I was younger, I you especially the way Ethan Hawke's character talks. Um, it's very like these long philosophical kind of things and you're like and you know you watch this when you're when you're 16 or even early 20s and you think like god he's so deep like this guy hasn't <laughs> figured out you know like and and the script is and, and the script is written uh because uh um, richard linklater was is about 10 years older than the actors and he's i think still at that age as well writing this that the movie 
doesn't want you to to see through it you know Mm -hmm. and watching it now as a cynical mostly cynical 29 year old um you see through the bullshit kind of thing and Mm -hmm. as you watch the other two movies you see that facade strip away a little bit you realize this guy doesn't actually have it all figured out and he would probably cringe the character would probably cringe at the things he was saying in the first film yeah, no, I agree. That's sort of what I was trying to get at before, but you put it much more uh, GCN than I did, uh, as an eloquent. Um, so officially, this movie was written by Richard Linklater and someone named Kim Krizan, whom Linklater brought on board after realizing how desperately the screenplay needed a female perspective. Um, but after being cast, uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, while uncredited, apparently rewrote significant portions of Before Sunrise with Delpy later stating that she and Hawk added get this romance <laughs> to the story <laughs> um, as before this the bulk of the story was more just people talking um, Delpy believes they went uncredited on the screenplay as it would have impeded securing funding because you're going to get you're going to easily get funding by saying hey it's the guy that did um, Dazed and Confused mm. wants funding to make a movie whereas I guess Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy weren't as big of a name back then yeah well, he'd done dead poet society yeah you're right i'm not sure, sure sure she had done stuff she would have done um um three colors white by this point i think as well yeah yeah this is our third julie delpy franchise um so the film is not right past that yeah. well it's because it's incorrect and we'll get to it later the what? film is, is... Okay. oh do you want to do this now yep, i do <laughs> okay all right um Here's what I'd written it so well. Where have I written it? <laughs> it's like in another section entirely of the of the episode plan, which we you know, and and very romantic. I you know, very romantic terms we throw out the window. Yeah. Um. So I wrote here. Uh, interestingly, despite Ethan Hawke being considerably more famous than Julie Delpy, mm. uh, Before Midnight is only our fourth Ethan Hawke film covered on the podcast after the other two Before movies and the Magnificent Seven remake. Mm. Uh, while this is Delpy's eighth, as she appears in the other two Before movies, the entirety of the Three Colors trilogy, if only fleetingly in blue mm. and red, um, Avengers: Age of Ultron, and she is I forgot completely until re- researching this up. She is one of the main characters as an american wheel from paris paris so there we go yeah wasn't that fun i'm gonna just say that again when i get to that in an hour (laughs) um so the uh so the film is not improvised um despite feeling that way but instead heavily heavily rehearsed to the point where the three main players involved have all said that they think it's really funny when people say it's improv because it was actually like grueling rehearsal Mm. (laughs) like the opposite of of improv um and the original nugget of an idea though of having a romantic night walking around with someone you just met that did come from Linklater, who based the idea on an interaction he had with a woman he met in a toy shop in philadelphia in 1989 where they walked around the city together and conversed long into the night uh, while originally wanting jesse and celine's story to take place in an unspecified city link later later linked the ideas of autonomy freedom risk-taking and romance to being abroad um, stating that while exploring a foreign city a person is more open to experiences outside your realm and mm. uh, did you have written down the conclusion to the richard the true story yeah it's in dumb imdb trivia should we just go to that <laughs> sure 
Uh, so yeah and if you go through the imdb sections of all of these films everyone just repeats the same information over and over including that little tidbit i just just told you then um and but there there is more to the story i put this in dumb imdb trivia because it's not exactly dumb as it is just like uh kind of bums me out um but it says so that this woman that that link later walked around Philadelphia with was named um, Amy, um, and Kim Krasan also claims that she had a similar experience. She said she rode around Europe on trains meeting people, and on one trip met a Norwegian man on the way to Paris, and ended up walking around the city all night, much like before sunrise. Um, Krasan has never re- revealed whether or not they had a romance that night, and they lost contact. Linklater and Amy stayed in touch for a while until contact was lost, and he never heard from her again, and was not until 2010 that Linklater found out that Amy had died in a traffic accident before the release of Before Sunrise the the first film in the trilogy Mm. Um, then it says Krasan has never reconnected with the Norwegian man that was her inspiration for the famous night walking around a European city Yeah, do do you have any similar stories like this? yeah no I was gonna I've, I've also have you have you in my Google Doc what Richard? Also, have you have you eloquently pre-written um, a paragraph? <laughs> yeah, about the last three things have been steamrolled over in favour of the order that I want to talk about things. Oh, sorry. And, um, I mean, yeah, if, if you've planned it rather than coming up naturally, it's funny. People think this podcast is improvised, but it's actually, <laughs> but it's very, actually very, very gruelingly Gruelingly rehearsed. <laughs> um, it is the next thing we had to talk about, so not too bad. But yeah, I wrote, I've written, so knowing that this was inspired by true <laughs> Not <events>. too bad. <laughs> And and knowing, um, like, knowing if how- it wasn't that bad, you could have just said it, been like, "Yes, actually, <laughs> I you're, you're totally right." I didn't realize because I had to scroll down to a different section of the page only to go back to where I was was originally <laughs> to see that it is the next thing to talk about. Look, this is a conversation. This is naturalistic dialogue. This is what people want. People think that this is this is grueling, really rehearsed. This is. Were you just about our- to make the same joke I did? this was also rehearsed this part you also wrote that down it'd be like (laughs) compare it to that Yeah, knowing how warm and fuzzy um, it makes everyone who watched it feel, and in honour of Valentine's Day, Richard, I thought I'd ask you if you had any similar experiences (laughs) to Before Sunrise that you would like to share. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So instead of answering my question, you were like, on (laughs) the script is I'm supposed to ask you. Do you have one? Because I I've asked got you my, first. I've got my defences up now, and it's so bullshit because I don't want to be defensive. I want well, to like, be like, I, I, I want like, to have like, a for, conversation yeah. about this trilogy we both love, and I'm making mistakes, and you're not forgiving me for well, there's it. There's no mistakes. It's just a conversation. I'm making mistakes. I said, not not us. No, I said. Well, yeah, no, that's why. That's why I said that there aren't. There shouldn't be mistakes because we we're just chatting. Um. And now you play, you've gone away from the microphone. Sorry, I need to get my water because I'm all foamy mouth. I'm foamy I mean. mouthed. My mouth's foamier. <laughs> foamy mouth, Richard, is actually when your mouth gets real foamy, um, and because you maybe you've been talking like real passionately, <laughs> it's like um. I like how you complained about the, that cinema story, that boyhood story. Was that I said she just mansplained? <laughs> All right, uh, I can share my story first. If you yeah, like. well, cool, because you were asked first, so it makes more sense. <laughs> All righty. Um, content warning: I do have to to uh, bring <laughs> content up Content warning: I do have a boner. <laughs> <laughs> I, I a lot of the story isn't necess- It's not necessarily 
relevant, but it's it's helpful context to know that I used to be a very devout uh, Christian, um, and a lot of the story is sort of nested in, in that story. I want to make it very clear. I don't know if content um, warning was the right... I mean, I guess well, yeah, I just, it's better than just, trigger I, warning. I, you'll, you'll hear it. You'll hear why. Hmm. Um, well, yeah, I've I, been like, okay, here's, here's a night I spent with a girl. Content warning. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly what do you want to say yeah. we had sex so if you are a christian um no i think that um that it's i just want to make it clear that i haven't been christian for about four or five years now yeah. so it's not Since really reflective of who i am so um i when i was a teenager my parents had friends in australia and they were maybe looking to move over or something was happening. And so the mother of that my friend, my parents were friends with came over and they brought with, with them their daughter who uh, her and I had just had this random connection. They stayed at our house and, and we, we really got along and, and it's the, one of the best kisses I've ever had in my life was with this girl. And um, it's not as dramatic as before sunrise and that when she left after the weekend, it wasn't like we're never going to speak to each other. We we kept in touch a little bit um, over Facebook and stuff. Um, and it wasn't until 2015 where the um, the last uh, die the dying embers of me trying to stay Christian um, uh, pushed myself toward going to ba 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 Hillsong conference in <laughs> uh, Sydney, Australia. Which, if you've never heard of, this is the this is Chris Pratt's church. You know how everyone hates Chris oh, Pratt yeah. now? It's because he goes to this church. He wasn't there, but Justin Bieber was there, and it was crazy. There was a girl behind me crying because she could kind of see Justin Bieber in the crowd. And we, so, sorry, um, where, where was this? Sydney. Sydney, right, yeah. Um, and while this is happening, and I like this girl, I've written a poem. I wrote a poem about her, you know, like she was I think very you've much like that poem, actually. I remember. I, pro- yeah. I probably have. Yeah, you like, want to be standing in the doorway to our kitchen. Okay, these are positive story. Yeah, I was going to say, is this a positive story? You're making fun of me because. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So, (laughs) she she had become sort of the stuff of legend with me and my friends because they knew about this this girl that I had the best kiss of my life with. Um. And while we're sitting in Hillsong Conference in 2015, waiting for the show to begin, I sort of there's like thirty thousand people there, by the way, and like I sort of just glance to to my right. And I'm sitting in this chair and, and walking past the aisle, I see her for a brief moment. And I was like, Buh? and I was like, was that the girl? And I told, I told the people, I was like, I think that she's here. And I messaged her that night. I was like, are you at Hillsong conference? And she was like, oh my God. Yeah. And I was like, we should meet up. And she's like, I'm youth league. I never have time, but like, let's try figure something out. And for a couple of days, we're like messaging each other, trying to find each other. Um, And on one of the days she's posted on Facebook, like a photo of the stadium from where she's sitting. And I look at the photo and I look at my view and I'm like, this is the same view. (laughs) Like I'm looking at the same view. And I was like, where are you? And we stood up and we were about maybe, um 20 feet away from each other mm. she's one row above me and we're like oh my god it's so crowded right it's so crowded but mm. my friends and everyone around us like sort of form a rolling convoy to move me to the to her and her <laughs> to me and we like hug and everyone clapped and i wish i could tell you like we hung out for a lunch and and made love under the the church lights but um nothing like nothing as exciting as that happened i did see her again at that conference 
um, before leaving and um, have never seen her again and am not Christian anymore. So I can't imagine she'd be be as interested in me either. Mm. (laughs) But yeah, that's sort of the closest I can relate to this kind of like distance, like, you know, time, time has changed us sort of thing. Mm. Um, That's, that's about as, you know, I've had romantic stories, but that's, that's (laughs) I've I've had my share of romance. Don't get me wrong. That's that's the closest I think to the before sunrise Mm. setup. I think. What about you? Um, I, yeah, I don't know, as like, in terms of the sort of, I like, like, I, I do have, like, a, a shooting my shot, like, the one time I've ever done that, there's, like, well, there's, there's one that didn't happen, and I, and it's, like, one of the main oh, yeah. regrets of my life. Everyone have that, I have that as well. <laughs> yeah, but I remember, I, like, I just got given this new shirt for my birthday, and I thought I looked really good, and there was this girl on the bus, and we just, like, kept catching each other's eyes, and she was, like gorgeous and i'm like oh I, I still beat myself up to this day that i didn't was like, it your we, we got off chimichangas this- shit <laughs> <laughs> she kept looking at me i was like yeah you like deadpool <laughs> um yeah and like we got off at the same stop and she walked the same way as me for a little bit and then turned around and i'm like like the my like in the 10 years since i haven't seven no 11 years ago I'm still like fucking goddamn it. Why didn't I? But I um that is one of the things though that strikes you about getting older and specifically fatter as well is just that like people don't look at you like that anymore. You don't have those experiences anymore. Um and God, I had I had one chance as someone who's just been gradually getting fatter their whole life I've never had those experiences. Yeah. So count yourself lucky that you that had, it, that it had me like a fucking a- steam train in 2016. <laughs> Yeah, so the 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 kind of the the, the other clothes happened in the same year actually. Um, my my one year where I was attractive, I was at um we were studying. There was, yeah, this is uh, it says my, at my course, and there was sort of like a reception area to it, and so there was like these big sort of um black doors, and then the reception area, and then glass doors, and someone walked through. And you the door kind of like did like a swinging back and forth like a saloon, but like it was literally like in Big Fish, like time f- completely froze. I saw mm-hmm. this girl standing outside um, the the glass doors, and yeah, it, it actually was like that. Like I I stood there transfixed for a moment, mm. and it's like, and I was like, this is actually the most beautiful person I've ever seen in my entire life, and I don't know something about that day. I went. And spoke to her and just said, like, hey, introduced myself, um, you know, said, said, what's up? Turns out she was actually there to meet, like, the worst person I know. <laughs> um, but then, and, and like, him and I did not get along. <laughs> but she then came into our course a few days later to to see him. And I went and talked to her again. And then he texts me, like, that night being like, hey, she wanted me to give you her number. And so, oh, <laughs> um, and then we had a few before sunrise esque. I bet of he things. liked sending you that message. <laughs> but oh, he loved God. delivering that message. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Like, I wouldn't have done it if I was in his position. To be honest, no, so, neither, no, I wouldn't have either. And to be honest, I think I would be fine with if he didn't. I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. To be like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm not going to give. <laughs> yeah. I like you. I'm not going to pass your number to someone oh, yeah. else. Um, but yeah, and like we, we had a lot of those moments where it would be like, 
I mean, fuck, bro. I was like head over heels for this girl. And mm. yeah, I mean, like it would be like things like I would walk across town to meet her at a party to just wander around the block with her for 20 minutes kind of thing. And we would mm. have these big sort of conversations. Out. We went on a few dates and it was just like, we would just wander around the, the botanical gardens until mm. until sunset came and mm. um yeah I, I i kissed her exactly once uh and, and she blew up into a <laughs> yeah smoke. never, never saw, saw her, her again, again. <laughs> wow but yeah that, that's that, like out, out of all the sort of experiences of my life my quote-unquote relationship with her was the only sort of um like like this 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 sort of like you know love or whatever you want to call it of just like it was just this very like yeah i don't know around the same age around the same sort of feelings and you know I'm more one-sided think- than i would have liked <laughs> i was just thinking of your current partner and sometimes host of the of the podcast jess who gets really jealous when to- i tell stories about like this oh don't say that <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, to like listening Steaming, to this, steaming like mad, <laughs> and just being like, you talk about this girl, and be like, and be getting very close to saying, and that's really the only time I've felt love in my mm. life. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't say that. Let the record I, show. I know, you, Je- and you don't even mean that. You're talking yeah, I know. about well, and, this, and this. Like Jess is probably in the shower at the moment, um, listening to this. Like I mean, I like she's. I know she's at work right now, but. As she's right, listening okay. back to this, she's probably in the shower. Um, and I feel like I was going somewhere with that, but I've now forgotten. So I just, now if everyone I knows, you, Jess, everyone knows that you listen to this podcast in the shower. So If I was you, I would now say, like, talk about how, like, what you have with Jess is actually far more fulfilling and important. Than well, I'll do that when we get to Before Midnight. Okay. <laughs> God. Alrighty. Well, because um, I actually this... do have like I relate yeah, I relate to each cool. film. Genuinely. Like, genuinely. Way, yeah. Um so this film, Before Sunrise, is our twenty-first film to be nominated for MTV's Best Kiss Award. <laughs> um these come in no particular order, but other other nominees slash winners include Spider-Man, The Matrix Reloaded, X-Men 2, X-Men United, Twilight, The Twilight Saga New Moon, The Twilight Saga Eclipse, which had two nominations, um, The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1, but not Part 2, um, High School Musical 3 Senior Year, Lethal Weapon 3, Desperado, Ace Ventura When Nature Calls, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Captain America The Winter Soldier, Deadpool, Venom, Romeo Plus Juliet, Scary Movie, Moulin Rouge, American Pie, Two and Dumb and Dumber, which actually beat before sunrise. <laughs> Jim Carrey's dumb fantasy kiss and Dumb and Dumber beat before sunrise for best kiss of 1995. <laughs> That's insane. And finally, I do have some more dumb IMDb trivia here. So this is, in case you don't know, on IMDb, there's a trivia section which is user-submitted, which often means a lot of it is uh, not that interesting and pretty dumb. Um, This includes, uh, during a conversation about their first sexual feelings, Jesse explains to Celine that he had an obsessive relationship with Miss July, 1978, and then refers to the playmate as Crystal. The name of Miss July, 1978, was actually Karen Morton, not someone named Crystal. I sure hope somebody was fired for that blunder. <laughs> uh, and finally, uh, one of the numbers, one of the albums Jesse flicks through in the record shop, the blue album with the face at the top, is Misfits by the Kinks. 
It's like, okay. It's just one of the albums. Yeah, it's just one. It's like clearly someone who loves that album mm. wanted to add that into the um, into the thing. Mm. Uh, but before we move on, Richard, to the second film, I do want to talk about something that we've talked about with Rambo that we've started as a new segment, and it's something that I'm wishing we didn't call franchise, mm. uh, which is uh, to clarify it's not wise like as in wizened or wisdom it's wise as in the question french why is it wise to the franchise <laughs> um and so yeah there's something we thought we could talk about with the first film in each franchise that we do from now on is that what about this um prompted a franchise out of this because um for a long time there there didn't need to be like it wasn't considered necessary to do a follow-up to before sunrise because it ends in a way that that um is hopeful that it it asks you the audience do you believe jesse and celine get back together i think Um, it's one of those classic litmus tests yeah exactly that's what that's what Linklater actually calls it a litmus test. Um, he says well, it's a litmus we test. We have more in common than just our first names. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, says, I always saw the movie as a litmus test for how you view romance. Some people would go, it's so clear they will never get back together. People, Some people were so sure. He said that the viewer's interpretation depended on their romantic history. And apparently Delpy, Linklater and Hawk are romantics. And they knew Celine and Jesse would come back together. Which is very funny, considering that's not what happens <laughs> <laughs> at least not as it's as, as it's written in the in this version um but yeah do you have any thoughts on french why uh well i think it's interesting that like yeah it's it's this lingering question is the sort of like and i i think it needs it does definitely need that nine years like if you'd made this sequel after you know say a traditional sort of three years later sequel Mm. It, it then is like oh they're making a sequel but it ends on such a perfect note whereas nine years is like yeah actually what did happen to those characters like it, mm. it, it you sort of you look at the question differently after the amount of time i think yeah sure i get you mm. um and so i think that it's just a little voice in the back of richard linklater ethan hawk and julie Dalpy's heads that that did say you know what w- what if actually hmm yeah it was maybe also happening in the back of um kim krizan's head who is definitely the unsung hero of the this franchise because mm. she well she, i don't think she returned for the third film but she did return for the second film which was called before sunset came out in 2004 uh richard linklater director do you know what this has on ron tomatoes i bet you don't but you don't uh, know what this has on ron tomatoes <laughs> he'll never know what this has on ron tomatoes <laughs> 95 <laughs> It's currently 94, actually, so it's gone down one. Wikipedia still says it's 95, but if you go to the actual website, Rotten Tomatoes, it says 94. So some other established critic has absolutely (laughs) just scoured, like, like hated on this movie since it came out. Um, What is Before Sunset about? Did Kim Krizan return for this? She returned for this one. Because, yeah, she's she's not credited with writing the screenplay. Is that like a story by hmm. um Dalpy and hawk wrote the screenplay yeah and and link later obviously but um hmm. yeah i mean I, like yeah i don't know that that necessarily means like returning i she she was on board for story elements of hmm. the second one from what i understand yeah sure so um okay before sunset it's nine years later uh jesse is now a uh, a best-selling author he's written a novel called this time which is based on um 
the the one night together they shared nine years earlier. He's doing a, a book tour around Europe, and on the the final stop of that is in Paris. And who should show up but Celine? Uh, and it's revealed they haven't seen each other in nine years since that one fateful night. Uh, it's revealed that and initially they both say, "Oh, you yeah, know, I, I wasn't there. Like, don't, yeah, don't worry, I wasn't there either," uh, because Celine's grandmother who she was visiting in the first film uh passed away and her funeral was the same day they had agreed to meet and jesse says oh don't sweat her. i wasn't there either and it's later revealed that he actually was there and it you know broke his heart sort of thing and um you know changed his relationship with love irreparably mm. um and then uh he says you know what i've still got 90 minutes before I need to leave for the airport. Can we grab a drink? And so they just wander around Paris. The film takes place in real time. And they just, they talk about, we see where their lives are at now. Um, They talk about uh, work. So Celine is, uh, what's she up to these days? She's um, an environmental activist and she's going out with this photojournalist. And um, Jesse is now married and has a son named Hank. Uh, and the as it sort of continues on, it's revealed that his um, marriage is fairly unhappy. And um, this was, I'm sure this is in your notes, sorry to spoil it, but it was this was very much clearly based on his relationship, Ethan Hawke's real life marriage to Uma Thurman breaking down um, mm-hmm. around this time. And he was drawing from those experiences a lot. Um, but they the sort of the spark that we felt in that first film was slowly reignited um, over the course of the film. And uh, it ends up that he goes up to her apartment um, because she talks about how she writes songs. And he's like, I have to hear one of these songs before I go. And he, she sings this, uh, it's uh, this waltz to him, which has his name in it. Um, So it's clearly written about him. And then the film ends, they put on some Nina Simone and uh, in, top five great greatest film endings of all time without a word of exaggeration um she's dancing imitating nina simone uh talking about she saw in concert one time and jesse is sitting there on the couch just watching her and you can you can see in his eyes like realize having that sort of uh battle inside his head of being like Mm. should i throw my entire life away for this girl and the final lines of the film she says baby you are gonna miss that plane and he says i know and the film cuts to black and she fades to black fades which to i black. think is much sexier than a cut to <laughs> <black>. <laughs> yeah and like oh, yeah straight up one of the greatest endings to a film ever I agree. I mean, I said that I I saw this in 2014. I reckon I've thought about that ending more than I've thought about any other ending to any movie since then. Like mm. it's it's such a perfect ending. Yeah. Um, what did you think of this one? Is the question. Well, so this is interesting. So I watched this. Like I said, I watched this in 2009 as part of a duology, and I I remember not thinking as much of it as the first one. I was like, this is a perfect duology, but to the first one really spoke to me because it was like, this is the life I want, you know? This is yeah, like, it's like, God, if, if only I could have this. And then uh, rewatching them again and showing them to my girlfriend at the time in anticipation of Before Midnight, I really like, like I, this film blew me away. And I 
related into a a different way because the first film was really this thing of like is is true love possible and is love at first sight possible really and and what Mm. does that look like and the second film is like okay well you have love at first sight but it's like was that really love and what does that actually mean and then the third film was like yes that was but that what does that mean because love is actually really hard and true love and and you know spending the rest of your life together is hard Mm. um and so i've seen people call this film a bummer but i think and it it, kind of is like in in some ways not as much as the third i'll say but it is um (laughs) it's yeah it's it's this film where you yeah kind of just this chance to re-examine those feelings from the first one that what i spoke about as well that like a lot of jesse's character is this kind of like you can you you can tell as you watch two and three that he is kind of he was putting this on he was he was talking out of his ass and seeing in this film like that life has beaten him down somewhat in the last nine Mm. years Uh, i just think this is just everything about this film is so it's such a like one of the greatest scripts Mm-hmm. In, in a film that I think I almost think there's something more romantic about sunset than sunrise um, sure. for, uh, yeah, I don't know why, but like uh, the, the, yeah, it, it's, it's just, I, I, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this, I would say this is my favorite of the trilogy. Mm. Um, I think that this is the one that I, I find the most compelling. Um, I love that they never met up in December. I love that it's in real time. Um, I love how messy and complicated their lives have become. I love how, as you say, like Jesse's been stripped, stripped away so completely. And it's, it's quite sad to see. Um, I love the scene in the car where they basically admit to each other so to, good. To, to having their entire perceptions of romance ruined because of each other and it's at the it's toward the end so you've had this whole movie Second of them in, the in, insisting they're okay only to then be like actually not only am i destroyed i'm destroyed because of you you know like mm. i think i think that's brilliant um and boy do i love that ending as you say top top five sh- I'd give it top one give it top mm. i don't care um i think that ending is is dripping with sex as i said it fades fades to black for god's sake <laughs> like it's it's so it's the the i what i love about it there's a few things i love about it so one the fact that she's doing a nina simone impression when mm. she says baby you are gonna miss that plane it's like an excuse to let her deliver a kind of sultry cheesy line that she maybe wouldn't have said if she wasn't playing a character mm. you know what i mean like it's it's this beautiful like it becomes almost a pickup line and it just, it implies so much. Um, I love that the whole movie is basically Celine giving Jesse shit for writing this novel that's about her. And mm. then at the end, it turns out she wrote a fucking song about him. Like it's the same thing, you know? And, well, and I mean, that's almost, a, a book's certainly a lot more effort. Than I know, song. I know, but it still means like she incorporated him into yeah. her perception of art and, and love and how she expressed herself. And, and I, I think that's almost like a plot twist that she wrote the song about him. Because mm, she's know? so hesitant to say his name in the song as well. Yeah. 
and I, I just think that's so that's so goddamn beautiful and so romantic and so sexy. Um, what I like about this film as well, you said people call it a bummer. I think it's challenging. Um, I don't think it gives you the perfect fairy tale continuation you might have wanted from Before Sunrise, but it gives you something a lot messier and upsetting. Um, and but that that creates a fuller, more realistic, and more earned experience. I think. Um, and I usually. Um, and we've both talked about this before, uh, I usually struggle with stories where the main character commits adultery. Um, but in this movie, it's like, it just feels so essential to the to the, well, it's, the it's, theme of it all. It's like the fact that he's married is adultery because it's like, yeah. no, you're supposed yeah. to be with Celine. <laughs> that, it's, it's, a very, it's dangerously um, cheetah sympathetic, you know, because everyone yeah, is I mean, like, you should be with Celine, not this other woman. Yeah, And also um, Celine's in a relationship. That's true. Um, but, and as well, for, for those who feel similar and they don't like that um, when characters commit adultery, if you're grasping at straws, they don't kiss in the whole film. You never mm. see them break any vow. You never see them, like, like they do, but but you don't yeah, see it. Yeah, they go into detail, the third one. but Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's still presented in a way where it's like, they could have done it amicably. They could have ended the relationship. I don't know. I just, I just love how this film, it's one of the most romantic experiences i've ever witnessed and there is no kissing in it and i mm. think that's incredible um there's a there's a repeated beat from the the stolen glance scene from the the listening booth in this when they're in the car in the second last scene and basically breaking down about how they they've affected each other so, so much since they last saw each other where um jesse like looks away while he's like talking about how pissed off he is that he let his life and his his marriage get to this point and celine goes to like pat him on the head but then like hesitates as he's mm. like turning back to her and it, it feels like a repeat of that that moment yeah, yeah, yeah. and it but like under a different context um ah oh god i just adore this movie i had such a grin on my face watching it mm. um when, when i was watching it again um and yeah i couldn't i couldn't agree with anymore with with any with all the stuff that you said about it. i think it's an incredible script i think yeah yeah and and watching it again like yeah, just watching these movies again, like forgetting like how much they truly meant mm. to me nine, 10, 12 years ago. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and insane. And and just like there's so many little things, like you talk about the, the you know, the moment of the uh, reaching for his hair and or like to, mm. to pat him kind of thing. And and also the end of the, the what I said about the Wilmington's cow, but that like all these moments that I'm like, oh my God, like these were like core memories for me. Mm. Um, mm. And yeah, like especially the, this movie as well. This was kind of the one I was most excited to rewatch because I mm. think maybe I had watched Before Sunrise a couple more times than Before Sunset because I like because mm-hmm. at, at the time it was my favorite. Uh, but this is one that look even if you'd asked me before rewatching them, I would have said this was my favorite, even though I might not have thought that last time I watched them. Mm. Um, but it's like I the way they sat in my mind, I was like, yeah, this is mm. the best one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so another return to talking about, uh, intimate personal stories. Um, uh, I got, uh, stoned for the first time in my life two nights ago. Uh, and it was very fun. Oh my God, and you do wh- drugs. We get it. <laughs> while I was, <laughs> while I was in my state, I had an idea for something we could talk about inspired by this film. Right. Um, and that is, and this could be like a watch mojo kind of listicle kind of video. Um, <laughs> what is the best example of a character in a sequel turning the story of the original film? into a novel 
or into uh-huh. a movie or into a piece of art. So does it work better or worse if the art they make has the same title as the first movie? Because interestingly, both before Sunset and the Scream series, which both have mm. like the, now it's the sequel, the characters have made a version of the first film that exists in universe. Um, Scream has a has a movie series in it um, called Stab. The series is called Stab. Mm. Um, and this time is the name of Jesse's version of Before Sunrise. And in Before Midnight, we learned that Jesse wrote about the events mm. of Before Sunset and called that one that time. Um, this can be contrasted with uh, Lord of the Rings, The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, and the final episode of Game of Thrones, wherein the stories written about what you've previously seen are called the name of the series or the name of the so in lord of the rings frodo writes the lord of the rings and in uh the mummy tomb of the dragon empire emperor evie has written the mummy and the mummy returns and in game of thrones it ends with a cringy ass scene where one of them has written a song of ice and fire right um and i think What's interesting about this is that in both Scream and the Before trilogy, they use these metatextual stories within the story as devices to drive the plot. It's almost a way to talk about the first movie, quote unquote, in the second movie or the third, fourth, whatever movie. Like, And I think maybe this is why it's a good idea to call them something different, you know? Hmm. Yeah. And also another note would be that this time and that time encountered the same problem as before sunset and before sunrise. And what do you mm. call the third one? You've used both the examples. What do you call the next one? So yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Yeah. He also has the, the other, um, have you got the title of his other book? T- no, tell me. Uh, temporary cast members of a long running, but little seen production of a play called fleeting. <laughs> Cause like, but is that, that's not the part of the this time that time is it no but he talks about it in before midnight and it kind of in a in a fun way like discusses some broad themes that encompass Mm. the the series as a whole i guess yeah yeah that's a fun list there's um beethoven's my favorite of course they make it in beethoven (laughs) (laughs) like i wonder if it's called anything does it have a name the whole time i i thought you were leading to beethoven (laughs) i thought he's brought this up because of beethoven and then you're like there's a scream and i was like oh yeah Yeah." (laughs) i think it's relevant to bring up because it's something that that's that only happens in a franchise what's yeah and it's one of those weird things it's like why is this a trope yeah yeah (laughs) um so uh, you probably know all this because I imagine you bloody froth those Wikipedia pages back when you first watched these films. Mm-hmm. But um, for those that don't know, the original idea for a Before Sunrise sequel was going to be a lot larger scale with the core idea involving four different locations. But after this failed to secure funding, the four main creators involved reworked several ideas to land on what we eventually got. Um and uh, Linklater basically said, uh, we sat in a room and worked together in about a two or three day period, worked out a very detailed outline of the whole film in this sort of real time environment. And then over the next year or so, we just started emailing each other and faxing. I was sort of a conduit. They would send me monologues and duologues and scenes and ideas. And I was editing, compiling and writing. And that's how we came up with a script. And Hawke said what I think is, is a brilliant quote surrounding this whole thing. Um, it's not like anyone was begging us to make a second film we obviously did it because Mm. we wanted to who's asking for this yeah exactly (laughs) and um 
fun fun little pickup on the 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 story from the last uh, movie is that um, Hawk and Delpy officially joined the writing team and were credited this time. Um, yeah, so and nominated yeah. for us for an Oscar for it. Nominated for best adapted screenplay and lost to Sideways. Have you seen Sideways? I haven't. Can't imagine yeah. it's as good. <laughs> uh, do you have any more thoughts on Before Sunset? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm happy to move on to Before Midnight. Alrighty. Before Midnight came out nine years later in 2013, uh, directed by Richard Linklater. What does it have on Ron Tomatoes? 98. Correct. And what is this movie about? So Before Midnight is now it's nine years later. Jesse and Celine have are they in a long-term relationship. They're not married, as we find out. Um, mm. They have twin girls, and this is set on... Uh, a summer vacation in Greece. And they were there with uh, Hank, who I mentioned in the last film, um, his, uh, Jesse's son with his ex-wife, now ex-wife. And uh, yeah, the film starts with him sending him back to the US and him sort of, you know, uh, dealing with the fact that he has to say goodbye to his son every six months or how, how you know, whenever they see each other. And then... Um, they they're on holiday there's like a few other couples and so um there's like this 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 one has probably the least i mean i guess apart from the second one which is in real time this one only has like half a dozen scenes in the entire movie Mm. it might take place over the longest time period though out of all of them uh yeah it's not super clear when the start of the movie takes place but yeah, so the, the, yeah, there's there's this part they've been uh, with other couples kind of thing. So there's um this this couple that have only just gone together. They're quite young and they're in love. And then there's like an older sort of couple. And then there's um this much older guy whose wife has passed away. And they they sort of talk about that. And one of the other couples buys uh like a night in a nice hotel as like a romantic getaway we'll take care of the kids you guys go spend the nice night in the hotel and then you can just turn the movie off (laughs) um uh no you shouldn't but uh they get to the hotel and just they essentially argue for 40 minutes what what begins very promising uh, promisingly as the first nude scene of the whole franchise (laughs) quickly devolves into one of the most heartbreaking uh, arguments you'll ever yeah, see you'll in ever a, see movie a film. but yeah so um it, it's the the sort of the the main like thrust of or well, the one of the kind of main thrusts of the argument is that yeah jesse is hates ha- having to miss out on so much of his son's life and you know he throws the idea out there that maybe like how would you feel about moving to chicago and celine laments that she's thrown away so much of her life and doesn't get to do anything for herself because she's always having to look after uh, the girls and Jesse. She's also and, got a job opportunity that's arisen. Yeah, that. yeah, and that she's you know sort of umming and eyeing about taking and you know like if, but it, it'll be this huge step forward in her career. And if they move back to Chicago, obviously that would ruin that. And yeah, they they end up having this massive fight. Celine storms out saying, "I don't think I love you anymore." And it ends with uh, Jesse going to see her. She's sitting by herself on the waterfront and he claims to be a time traveler from the future who uh, has a letter that Celine wrote to herself about how even though this night started rocky, it ended up being the greatest night of her life and it ends with them somewhat reconciling. Mm. Yeah, Wikipedia says despite their relationship being tested, they eventually reconcile, which is like, 
quite a heavy sentence i think because i don't know if it does entirely like it's it's left it's left on a like positive upswing but we don't see what's going to happen well, next this is this is the interesting thing though because so again i i, I saw this movie in the cinema i i think i left course early because it was like playing in one cinema for one day mm. at one screening kind of thing so i i took half the day off to go see it and i took my girlfriend at the time and and you know we'd we'd sort of fallen in love with these characters and i i was like this is something really important i have to share with you and i can't wait to see the next thing and then you see this argument and and, and my feelings for this film uh thank you for asking i was struggled with for a long time and i think that's actually kind of why i didn't revisit the film for nine years although funnily enough i actually um when i was in topor um a few months ago i was flicking through and the movies and this was playing on the movies channel and i i was so fucking tired that day and i I slept through most of it but i caught bits and pieces of it and i kind of was like (laughs) yeah actually i need i should rewatch these films um and but i did see a lot of the argument at the hotel and you know remembering like there's this like 40 minute part of the movie that i just like don't know if i have it in me to watch again and i think what yeah what you say and it's this is this is one of those things that looking at it from a different point in my life and i think um you know a lot of a lot of critics and and stuff and you know fans of the franchise might have looked at this one of being like oh man i can't believe we've seen the end of jesse and celine and I like I don't think I don't think we do and you know having been in a longer term relationship now and uh with b- being older and I'm sure this is even more true when you get to your early 40s like they are I think that this is and, and, and this isn't even a negative thing but the argument they have is so realistic and that's why it hurts so much to watch um because you know you, you're watching this you see yourself and you start you side with whoever in the argument and you think the other person's being crazy and i'm sure that you know watching this people side with different people and all these bits that you're like oh god i wish i hadn't said that or wish he hadn't said that and mm. all this stuff i don't think this is I, I, like when when you know if if they make a, a fourth before movie it, which would come out this year it's been nine years uh, i don't think that it necessarily would be like it would be about that one night we spent in Greece where we had that really bad argument. I don't think this is the worst argument they've ever had. And I don't think that, I I think this is but a blip in their relationship. And now I'm not saying that they have a bad relationship because of that. I'm saying that it's like, that's just what relationships are. And I think that's the reality of this movie is, is that. And I think that's why people responded to it so much, even though it has this like super negative third act. Um, People are still like, wow, like this is actually reality put on screen for the first time and Mm. yeah i I think that yeah and and also there is there is interesting because i've I've seen i've spoken to a few people about this as well and it it happened to me as well although my my story (laughs) my my story kind of disproves my point that um of this thing of when you get a nice hotel room or something like that where you go like let's let's go have a romantic night and you plan it out and you say, cool, you know, Saturday night is we're taking away all stresses and that's going to be a romantic night. Quite often that turns to shit. And I think it is like, A, you you know, you're forcing, you're planning romance, which doesn't really work. And B, the reason you need to have a night like that is because you've got so many other stresses going on in your life that you need to just shut them off for a moment. And so you put two people in a room like that that both need to de-stress and it becomes like a pressure cooker and 
seemingly more often than not, there will be some kind of argument there. Happened to me in, uh, I was in Thailand and we were traveling with friends, but we said, all right, well, this we're staying in on Koh Phi Island where they filmed The Beach, the um, Danny Boyle movie. And it was like, cool, this can be our romantic night of the trip, you know? And uh, yeah, we ended up just like really, really having a re- like a really bad fight. And um, uh, yeah, I didn't think even ended up sleeping in the same bed together. Like, you know, but like just couldn't stand to be around each other. We did break up three months later. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, maybe what do I know? And um, maybe we we have seen the end of Jesse and Celine's relationship. But I think... I think there were other issues in my relationship. <laughs> um, it's funny that it, everyone's always like, oh, do you have a before sunrise story? And you're like, fuck that. I got a before midnight story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, Richard, interestingly, despite Ethan Hawke being considerably more famous than Julie Delpy, Before Midnight is only our fourth Ethan Hawke film covered on the podcast after the two Before movies. Do you not have anything else to say about Before Midnight? (laughs) (laughs) That was just how I was going to introduce the segment. Um, I was also going to work out how many trilogies the Before trilogy uh, brings us to on the podcast, but that's honestly becoming such a hard thing Mm. to work out. Um, I've made it clear I don't think it's fair to say Lord of the Rings or Star Wars are trilogies. But it gets more complicated when franchises um, with a, four, a fourth film has come out since we've covered it on the podcast or stuff like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, which was rebooted. So is that a trilogy? And if yes, does the fact that it was still revisited in a, another movie, does that <laughs> discount it as a as a trilogy? Um, yeah. So I don't know how many trilogies we've done and maybe I'm going to stop counting how many we've done. Yeah. Uh, so... I said Before Sunset was challenging, uh, but Before Midnight goes to places of emotional bedlam I don't think I've ever seen in a film. Mm. Um, And for this, while it makes me feel the worst out of all three, I can't rightly say I think it's any less brilliant or any less Mm. effective. Um, I'm not sure how to phrase it, but I think there's a real cool way of explaining, like, the first movie is about X, and the second movie is about Y, and the third one is about Z. And after I wrote that sentence, Richard, I was you on saw Ethan Hawke's or Ethan Hawke <laughs> described this entirely mm-hmm. um, on IMDb, um, where he says, "Before Sunrise is a film about what might be. Before Sunset is a film about what could or should be, and Before Midnight is a film about what is." Um, I think that's a brilliant way to put it, and I think that in a lot of ways, um, while it's not really a film you'd have in the same conversation as films like this but um it's sort of the opposite of fan service i mean everything would have fan service i guess Mm. um and i think it's interesting that neither of the sequels start where you were expecting before Mm. sunset doesn't start six months later where they met up and before midnight starts basically the, the the feeling i first got when i first saw before midnight was my god i've missed so much Mm, I've missed an entire life they've had together you know Mm. that's not fair that's my I I deserve to know what happened after like directly after the second film um and I think that um because of because it flies in the face of what you want and you still come out the other end feeling changed and moved um I think that is fucking powerful and Mm. more important than just having a good time in a trilogy absolutely and I think that's why I struggle with my feelings for it for so long because it is Mm. yeah it it moved me as much as the other two but in Mm. a different way and I think part of me was just like I hate that Jesse and Celine's love isn't 
as pure as I was promised. And it's mm. not like you, you, you're you used to movie romances where mm. they fight and then they spend the third act reconciling. This is like they spend, the final scene is an olive branch being extended and not even really accepted, just not rejected. <laughs> and what is rejected mm. and then finally like reluctantly kind of accepted. But AJ, I want to ask you a question. Mm. Um, who is right in the argument? I mean, I think they they both have. I think I tend to side with Celine more than Jesse, but I don't think that. I think both of them say stuff that I think is unfair, yeah. and both of them say stuff that's an incredibly good point. Mm. Um, I think the difference, the the overwhelming difference, I think between myself and those two characters is I'm nowhere near as like willing to pick an argument, which probably means I would have a far less productive relationship in terms of like working stuff out as they would. But mm. like, I don't like every now and then like like jesse will say like see you sound like an absolute crazy bitch and like i probably wouldn't say Mm. stuff like that in the heat of an argument i guess yeah one thing i will say which might be my only complaint about this franchise is uh, and it's like ah i just it it's again it's like it's making me feel the thing i'm supposed to feel but i'm like ah is they both accuse the other one of cheating on them and Mm. neither of them deny it yeah, uh, yeah, and it's I like talk about that as well. it's it's it's. I I think especially, especially Jesse, he totally did. They both no, they both totally did. I reckon. Yeah, I I think like her like because his his accusal of her is very like oh shut the fuck up like what are you what are you on about her her accusal of him is like just tell me yes or no and he goes. Well, if you're asking me this and it's like, he can't lie, but he's, he makes such a big point of not saying no. Whereas she makes more of a point of being like, no, what are you talking about? And it's like, or she doesn't actually say the word no, but yeah. yeah. She says, like, you slept with essentially a groupie because he's a achieved, achieved author yeah. now. Um, and he says, he doesn't say no. He says, if you're asking me if I'm committed to you and our children, the answer is yes which is mm. not no, and it's basically, yes, I did cheat on you. Um, yeah, and well, it's and this, this thing of like, yeah, he, he, I, I, I imagine he did cheat on her, regretted it. She somehow found out and they've never really talked about it. But for him, it was this mm. thing of like, what have I done? I am like- yeah, he needed that to realize how committed he actually was, you know. But totally, and I, but I, I do think as well there are shades of um, polyamory to. 50 potentially um of polyamory to celine especially like the way she talks the way she accuses him she's like i'm not a jealous person Mm. so i don't care and like that and and he says the same thing he's like he's like i know you blew him i i you probably didn't fuck him but you blew him and that's fine just tell Mm. me so so i guess like the poly, the the shades of polyamory make it a little easier to to swallow. No pun intended. I think. Yeah, well, that it's that it's two people that are very. Um, They've always been very independent, comfortable and, in their yeah. sexuality, and and yeah, and they're also like. Um, I think it's you know I don't want to generalize, but I think it's a well no not so, not as so much a French thing, but like a European thing as well. Sure. Of like looking yeah, at sex differently. Well. Yeah. And I think that adds to how wonderfully challenging this movie is. And I think that um, if I were writing this, if I had Before Sunset and Before Sunrise in other order um, under my belt, 
and I was writing this film and I knew I wanted to put something truly, truly challenging in there, I would grapple with it. But I think I would also imply mm. that they'd been unfaithful because I think that's the ultimate sign. That's the ultimate thing that if you can overcome this, you'll be together forever, mm. supposedly, right? Um, and I think that uh, that there is a lesson to be learned here in where to take a film when you get to a threequel, when you get to a third point, to a third film, and it's a path that's almost never travelled, um, because because I think here we are six years on in our franchise podcast, and I think the this this franchise has made me realise that one of the big problems with the idea of sequeling is. Uh, you you want to take if you want to take the story in new and interesting directions it's very hard to do that when you've fallen in love with your status quo and other people have fallen in love with your status quo and then you get a movie like before midnight that where it's like what if the worst thing could happen and mm. that's so compelling and that's so beautiful and that's so much more interesting than just telling a story that's the first half of this movie all the way until the end. Like something has to happen in this movie that sets it apart from the other two, you know? And I think that challenge is is such a big word for me because each sequel is like doubly as challenging as the last, mm. uh, maybe even more so. And I think that challenging, being challenged is something... I've grown to really appreciate in sequels, even if it can be hard, even if it can be difficult. I think that's how ultimately you achieve a sequel that like history is kind to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I I think there, there, yeah, the, the main thing is like the, the truth to each sequel. Yeah, sure. Mm. Hmm. Uh, one thing I also love about this movie, you mentioned that they have a, have lunch with all these other couples. Um, one of the couples is this this young couple who kept their long distance relationship alive via mm. Skype. And I love how the film lets you, the viewer, draw the comparison of how oh, the first film could never happen in, in mm. 2013. And um, none of the characters point this out. None mm. of them. They all go like, "Oh, love is different these days, whatever." But like, none <laughs> of them go like, "Well, that would deflate the entire Before Sunrise storyline." And but it leaves you to to realize that, and it's so intentional. And it's such a statement on love and how it grows. Because this trilogy is about time, right? Like, it's even Mm. in the titles. Um, Each of them is before time. And Mm. and before itself is a word Mm, associated with time. time. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think that, that that's such a brilliant way of, like like melting your mind into discussing how things change over time that not only um can the entire premise of the first film become defunct but this relationship you've spent two movies investing in can also reach a breaking point you thought it was bigger than you Mm. know yeah i also love the this the older guy at the table who talks about how his wife isn't you know has passed away and Mm. It's not that big a deal because they were always the, the, yeah he he gives a little monologue where he talks about their relationship and how he he like he kind of essentially says like he wasn't that sad when she died, mm. um and they were just, they were always two people not yeah. one person yeah and it's um yeah it's just a very frank and and it's again it's this interesting like looking at the table and seeing what love looks like in four different ways mm. yeah. um yeah. yeah um. 
I also love that uh, both elements of Jesse's son from his first marriage, their new children, and Jesse's semi-autobiographical novels all play a major part in driving the conflict. Um, mm. And like this, this is how you do a screenplay where you're playing with the pieces your world has already set up and you're reusing things to you know because it's it's always better when um a movie or a story uses the elements it has instead of pulling one out of nowhere mm. you know and, and i like that it uses the pieces it has um uh Licklater, hawk and delpy began developing a third film in 2011 i'm um, wishing to replicate the nine-year gap between the first two installments um the behind the scenes story i don't think is quite as compelling as sunset's uh mysterious high budget original draft um but i still feel a respect for like the artistry of all the yeah. those involved and how they felt it was time to return to the characters mm. well because also like you hadn't yeah, but from from before 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 Sunset, you hadn't established what a sequel looks like in this mm. not even a franchise yet. Now you have, mm. so you have a pattern to follow. Yeah, yeah. Um, this film was also nominated for Best Adaptive Screenplay at the Oscars, where it lost to Twelve Years a Slave. <laughs> Try eighteen years a slave. Am I right, Jesse? <laughs> um, <whoosh>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a note i want to make on the ron tomato scores so to remind everyone the first one is 100 the second one is 94 the third one is 98 i think it's very easy and we so often do treat ron tomato scores like a mark out of 100 of how good a movie is um but it's franchises like these in which Rotten tomato's true measurement is actually relevant to talk about i think because as we really know ron tomato scores are a percentage of how many critics at least like to film and we've said on the podcast before that a Rotten Tomato score is basically um, how likely it will be that you, an individual, will enjoy this movie based on a sample size that is the critic base. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you do love a um, if you are a hundred percent of Before Sunrise, it is the risky nature of its two sequels does mean it's not a hundred percent chance you'll mm-hmm. like it. You know, yeah. and I think in this case. Because I think the second one is is the best one, and and I'm not offended by these scores because I think they more tell you like, hey, if you loved before sunrise, mm. there is a six percent chance you might find before sunset a little difficult to swallow, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Um, you said that there was one thing you didn't like about this film. I've got a question for you. Uh, did this movie need a ticking clock like the other two? Because the others... Well, that, that's um, the interesting that, yeah, this this one just happens to... Happens before midnight. Yeah. yeah. The other two take their titles from how much time they have to left, left to spend time together. Yeah, but this is just before midnight. They never draw attention to it. They never... It's mm. just you assume it's all happening before midnight. Um, do you think it, it needed anything? like, Or even like a... I know what you mean, clo- and I did think this when I watched it originally. A closer on the end, like... Um, I'm I'm going away. You better be out of here before midnight. You know, even just that at the end. You know, something like that where it's like a a negative, like a threat or something. You know, I don't mm. know. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, ninety eight percent. Um, I hate to do this, Richard, especially with such a beautiful franchise. Mm. Uh, but if you'll trust me in embracing the grime in the same way we trusted before midnight wouldn't end in a complete mess of hopelessness, I'm going to need you to grab a shovel because we're digging our way into problematic corner. Mm. Ooh, I bet this didn't age well. Let's get a laugh at someone else's expense. I have to warn you, this 
Just might get obscene It's the problematic corner Where ain't nothing PC Now in terms of conversation topics, all three of these films don't shy away from differing opinions or challenging ideas that the characters themselves bring up in conversations. And this is obviously the beliefs of the characters themselves, and it all adds to the authenticity. Um, but in a series which does a pretty great job representing feminism, some were pretty upset that Julie Delpy has a pretty elongated nude scene in Before Midnight, while Ethan Hawke nary even drops trowel, Richard. <laughs> Did do you th- what do you think about that? Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily call it problematic. I um, I like I I love the the nudity in Before Midnight, and not even not like in a horny way. It's like it's one of those things where it's like I just know tabloids would be like Julie Delpy bravely bears all, you know, like because she's <laughs> she's over forty kind of thing. She did that in a woman with a, a, a American Werewolf in Paris. <laughs> but I um, I think it's this this very true thing and it's kind of this it's not it's not funny but it's just very realistic that like you get midway through being about to have sex and it takes her ages to put to cover up again because it's like well who gives a shit you know <laughs> like mm. um yeah i i i think the nudity in this film is fantastic mm. Well, responding to criticisms regarding it, um, in an interview with GQ magazine, Dalpy remarked, some people were like, it's not feminist, you're showing your tits and he's not showing his ass. But isn't that isn't the people who are hiding women behind layers of clothes who are misogynists? That's, I'm a real yeah. person. Mm. And so it's a statement to say, all right, I'm a 40-year-old woman and this is what you get with no plastic surgery. Which is very funny to say, for uh, sure, you are a 40-year-old woman, but you you look incredible. <laughs> and I mean that in a horny way. You might have not, but I do. Um, so I think I think that's a brilliant point. And again, very French, very yeah, yeah. <laughs> fr- French feminist. Yeah, it's like, like yeah, wanting her to cover up is, is not mm. feminist, you know? Yeah. I, I guess I just thought that was an interesting perspective. Um, but before we move on, I do want to return again to dumb IMDb trivia. Um, so we talked about how uh, at the end of this film, um, uh, Jesse is like, hey, I'm a time traveler and I've got a note from mm. you from the future which is sort of a callback to and before sunrise he convinces her to get off the train by saying imagine i'm a time traveler and or you're time traveling he, you know talks about time travel and you'll always look back at this and wonder should you have got off with got off the train with the guy right so the the piece of imdb, IMDb trivia um, says in the final scene jesse tries to win around celine and refers to himself as a time traveler this is of course in reference to Ethan Hawke playing a time traveller in Predestination 2014. Spoilers for Predestination. (laughs) Is it really? I apologise. I did not know. Um, We talk about titles a lot on this podcast. Um, And, I mean, pretty much perfect by my standards. I guess there's a little part of me that's like, the third one isn't called Before Sun something, but, like, what else is there? Um, There's not really any sun... Mm. there's nothing else there's no other thing the sun does they need a word for there is no sun in the sky Mm. (laughs) um night i guess that i guess that's sunset um and i think the the um the bigger question really is um is what would you call the next one which we'll get to in just a second because first we're going to go do meeting of the elders um very quickly 
Not very quickly, I don't know. <laughs> we're going to be meeting of we're going to be meeting <laughs> Not very of quickly. the elders. This is going to take a while. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing meeting of the elders. Where um, if you donate to our cult elder tier over at patreon.com slash Popsha, then you get to tell us what you thought of the films um, over on a secret Discord server. Um, and we didn't get a lot of responses. A lot of people haven't seen these movies, which very ashamed of you, elders, for having no idea mm. about these movies. But um, Dan slash uh, before Dan um, has given us. Uh, a, a very very well thought out reviews of each of the three films that I thought um, they're great and we should go over them now so I'll read the first one if you want to read the second one and I can yeah. read the third one so Dan says before sunrise evokes so many memories of instant connection with the somewhat unexpected with someone unexpected the inexplicable hours long date that neither of you want to end with someone you feel as if you've known your whole life love is so paradoxical in that way and so fleeting and I love how this captured that so I was reminded of Halloween 2015 when the two of us stayed up literally until sunrise before we'd even been intimate at all or July 2016 when someone else and I stayed up countless nights together before she'd have to move away to florida for an imminent surgery our fling encapsulated in that brief summer moment or november 2017 when someone i barely knew and i were still awake in the early morning when we went to get breakfast to a couple to, to complete our first and final date or a halloween party in 2018 with someone i had only thought of as a friend and we began a relationship right around dawn these moments, these magical nights resulted in everything from nothing to, from nothing to a year-long relationship, yet I think of them all fondly as capturing lightning in a bottle, like Celine and Jesse when they threw common sense out the window and trusted their gut. Dan, so beautiful, dude. Yeah, like, also crazy that uh, Dan and Halloween slash November. <laughs> um, all right, um, so then before, before Sunset, he wrote, Before Sunset played with that enticing fantasy in the back of your mind. What if, I, what if it wasn't just a fleeting moment? doomed to flutter away after all these years do they think of me like i do them is it just the idea of them would they like the real me fat and warts and emotional baggage and all i'm almost at the age of the character so i've only experienced one thing close to this but i haven't yet experienced this rekindling a connection seems far 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 more rare than making one in the first place you've matured since that naive meeting you've discovered more of who you are and who you want to be seen as also, as a writer, I must confess, writing your own loves and life in your work is too real. One of the most fulfilling things in my life was sending a draft of a novel to an old flame and them not only recognizing themselves and us in the story, but giving their blessing that I should not make any changes. We had connected in a summer fling, but when we met two years later, any romantic slash sexual spark was completely gone. For them to see what we had, we once had and a agree upon the fictionalized version of them as something true was truly fulfilling and validating part of me will always hold out hope that i will run into an ex and rekindle something it's the hopeless self-destructive romantic in me and i he says i'm truly curious how these films resonate within your own lives and what they evoked yeah same thing i like i'm i've said many times before that i'm one of these people who it spends far too much time thinking about the paths not taken and mm. the idea of a before sunset meeting with you know and and thinking about oh, yeah. or just 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 wanting to know if someone thinks the same thing about you is yeah ah oh, it's an incredible experience if it ever happens and you know you'd stay up at night wishing it would 
Dan also gave us a Before Midnight review. They said, Before Midnight hit me like a ton of bricks. Falling in love is easy. Staying in love is hard. I was reminded of when my parents would bicker slash banter slash fight, but still stay together. I was reminded of conversations near the end of a relationship. I, rem- I was reminded of what it was like to live with a partner and spending time outside of any romantic context. I believe Before Midnight captures the post-honeymoon phase of a relationship better than I've seen in any other media. Cohabitation collaboration communication and harmony and disrepair most painfully i was reminded of the only two times i went on vacation with a significant other in both cases i booked a hotel we got along fine slash okay but any romanticism died in that room and never bounced back once we returned home both relationships died almost exactly a month after very similar to what you said richard mm. having with you um the way that celine felt about the hotel room resonated so deeply with me and i'm only just starting to recover i believe she says she like fucking hates the, the hotel room and would rather stay in like a Greek looking place like a yeah, you yeah. Know, like an old timey place um, as a side note I really want to read Jesse's books especially the one he's workshopping about memory yeah so I mean again beautiful um, summations there Dan and I, I really appreciate you writing all of that because that really just hits home how effective these movies are and, and mm. how like the most cynical reviews I've seen of the, because I I did I'd never done this before. I scrolled through Letterboxd for a mm. couple of them and sort of read some people's thoughts. And there's the classic ones where it's like, I hated the first one, and this one I can't believe how much I was actually able to stand. And it's like, yeah, there's there's a certain type of person that doesn't like these movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I I actually I'm really getting over Letterboxd reviews for like, really reasons like that. Yeah, like I, I hate scrolling through because you you amazing films end up one star just for some dumb joke review, um, mm. or vice versa. Um, terrible films with five star reviews. Mm. I mean, obviously, you know, you can look at the graph and see what people actually genuinely think. But I, I, that uh, Letterbox seems to be more about how funny can you make your review than how well can you articulate your thoughts and give it a score. I have the podcast for that, so I yeah, put exactly. all my funny reviews on Letterbox. <laughs> but so the um yeah, it's interesting like like what Dan's saying that I think watching these movies and whether it's in 1, 2 or 3, I think if you've ever had feelings of love, you there'll be something in here that you relate to. And I sure, think that's yeah. what makes them so incredible. So, continue the franchise. This is our segment where we pitch sequels. But before we do that, it is worth noting that this franchise um, is one in which continuing it is quite a pertinent conversation. As you said before, a fourth before film, um, if it were to come out uh, nine years after the last, that would mean it should be coming out this year. However... That's not going to happen. Uh, In March 2020, Hawke stated that a sequel may likely not follow the previous precedent of a nine-year gap between films. He said, if the first three were all nine years apart, the fourth would not follow that trajectory. He said, Linklater would want a different path, but we enjoy working together and being together. We may have to make sure we have something to say. Um, In June 2021, Delpy said that she had turned down going ahead with a sequel, later clarifying, we, the three of us, agreed we couldn't come up with something good for a fourth one. It was an idea that none of us liked, and that was the end of it. Mm. So, not a never say never, but uh, certainly not yet but at the same time i'd be sh- i wouldn't be shocked to hear that a fourth film was going ahead at some point yeah um two two other things on continue the well, three other things on continue the franchise um one is like i remember ethan Hawke said he liked the idea of a fourth one being set during covid and it was them mm. locked down together and richard linklater said that maybe the fourth one uh they'd make it in like 40 years and it would be like a 
an English language remake of Amor, where it's these two like eighty year olds and one mm. euthanizing the other. Um, oh wow! <laughs> yes, yeah, so they, like, they do. They really do talk idea. about and before midnight they talk about them being together when they're yeah. eighty, which I feel like is almost a hint toward yeah. That. Um, um, did you have another continue the franchise written down? Yep, I do. Um, for those wanting to scratch the before trilogy itch, uh, Linklater has you covered with some of his other projects, most famously, as we discussed earlier in the podcast, Boyhood, a movie which is filmed over 12 years and also features Ethan Hawke. And there is mm. also a movie he made uh, between Sunrise and Sunset called Waking Life, uh, which is a semi-animated film uh, in which it's Jesse a, and Celine... It's entirely animated. Oh, is it? Yeah. Um, Jesse and Celine have a non-canon cameo and, and you watched it i did watch it yeah um yeah, yeah so uh as as a completionist i you know went for every jesse and celine appearance yeah so it is interesting though so it's, it's done it for film franchise follow-ups on Patreon. Uh, we can still do it if you watch it the next few days i'll still be able to talk about it but um a couple of really interesting things okay. about it because we won't do it for film franchise follow-ups because we're doing texas chainsaw massacre this month yeah that's what um, i was gonna say looking <laughs> um, for my way out of texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> so um yeah interesting thing so at the Waking Life, it's rotoscope, similar to a scanner darkly, but not as um which is also linked later. Um, but not as refined in its animation style. Like a scanner darkly picks one animation style and follows it. It's like it, it, seemingly like between shots in Waking Life, the animation budget was slashed, you know, or people right. like so it's like the shot reverse shot, one person will be like very detailed and the reverse shot will be like just kind of a blob. Um the plot of the, it's it, the movie is like just a series of like tableaus and you've got this main character who for the first like you know two thirds of the movie doesn't really talk he kind of just listens to people delivering very before sunrise esque sort of philosophical monologues and so, yeah it came out in two thousand one like you said before um, before sunset was a thing and um but the whole thing is it's to do with dreams and it's. You know, it's kind of like he he ends up meeting Richard Linklater playing a character. He's not playing Richard Linklater, who's the sort of final character who explains like the the dreams and all the stuff. And that's when mm-hmm. he, the main character, really actually has, engages in a conversation. But it has this brief moment where we fly into the bedroom of Jesse and Celine, who are who have spent the night together. They're clearly in a relationship. And I guess for a while it was like, this was the only hint that like, no, they did get back together, you know? Mm. And, but one, one thing I found really interesting though. So they, they talk about that and they have a classic Jesse and Celine conversation and they talk about um, like earth being like a simulation or like the, the dying thoughts of an old woman. And they're just like characters and those dying thoughts, which they talk about in before sunset. Right. They like in before sunset, they say, Oh, I feel like I'm, you know, they say, I can't stop thinking about, or I feel like I'm part of that. And they reference a conversation they only had in Waking Life. Oh, interesting. Which isn't, yeah, I, I think I would need to, I would need to rewatch before Sunrise to make sure it's not on there as well. But I thought that was interesting. But, um, because the, the whole thing is that it, that is like Waking Life is all about these dreams. So it's not necessarily non canon. This could easily be the dream of Celine or Jesse. Right. One other final, really interesting thing about, um waking life so again like i said it's just these tableaus characters pop up for one scene and there's one where uh a man is driving a car and he's like shouting out of a bullhorn um you know projecting um to everyone on the street and he's talking about these like kind of very out there sort of uh conspiracy theories and that character is played by alex jones no way (laughs) who's also in a scanner darkly really yeah 
It's like his only two film film appearances are cameos in Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly. I don't remember him in A Scanner Darkly. It's a a brief, like, you know, voice onto radio kind of role. Um, But... But yeah, funny that like this was when Alex Jones was just like, look at this wacky guy before he was actually mm. dangerous, I think. Um, but it's crazy that he clearly has a working relationship with Richard Linklater. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, and, and sorry, and also, thing. also yep. just on, while we're talking about um, Richard Linklater um, films. probably what I'm about to say. Well, go for it. <laughs> um, Linklater is also working on a musical adaptation of Stephen Sondheim's Merrily We Roll Along, which is planned to be filmed over 20 years. Um, principal photography hasn't started yet, but the actors attached to the project currently consist of Blake Jenner, Beanie Feldstein, and musical darling slash dear Evan Hansen star Ben Platt. Mm. So... He's he's still doing stuff with really long passages of time. Mm. Yeah, to make mm. uh, make him look like a chump for doing uh, Boyhood over only twelve years. But I remember um, uh, Ethan Hawke was like primed to if, if Richard Linklater had died, Ethan Hawke was going to take over Boyhood. Right. Because like, I remember I remember reading about Boyhood in like two thousand and seven. <laughs> you know it was like there's this movie that's come not coming out for like a long long time and i think it was just i think it was called 12 years at the time but then they didn't want to confuse it was renamed later because of um 12 years of slow yeah 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 uh so um do you want to do your continue the franchise first or do you want me to do mine first uh well what's what's yours well i spent most of the time trying to think of a title um because mm. all the main stuff has been taken um, and without repeating yourself by using different words for sunset or sunrise, like before dawn or before dusk or before morning, um, I realized the only main section of the day that is yet to see a film reach the climax during is noon. Mm. Uh, but after realizing how unpoetic before noon, before midday sound, um, I, f- I found my brain stumbling onto the even more ridiculous uh, before afternoon. <laughs> and this, this led me to conceive of the after trilogy right mm. and i i propose to you that we wait another nine years um and take us through jesse and celine into their late 70s or their 80s like they talk about in before midnight i think you could call the first one after sunrise and but i wouldn't mind if you went off script for the other two so yep. if they they didn't have to be after sunset or after midnight i think it would be kind of cool if one of them was called afternoon but like two mm. words not one word um so yeah the yeah. after trilogy. Uh my pitch is also the after trilogy, but it's different. Oh, um, I apologize. I had the same. I had the same um, thought. Retitle midday. It, it, it feels like you have to do midday because it's like before sun, before sun, uh, yeah. uh, then before mid. You have to do before mid. Uh, but yeah, the after trilogy. My pitch for the after trilogy, though, because um, yeah, I was I, I, like I, I kind of want to just do after sunrise, after sunset, and after midnight. But my pitch for the film is that uh, we follow Hank as the main character, um, oh, yeah. Ethan Hawke's son. And so my idea for After Sunrise would be that the film starts with Hank waking up um, and, you know, maybe next like next to a one night stand. And it's sort of the, it's those awkward it's that awkward conversation you have in the morning with a one night stand um, and you know, maybe things don't go. But also, you know, it's it's 2022. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he, she should maybe it's a, it's a, you know, homosexual romance or he's bisexual sure. or questioning, um, and then also because I, and I, I quite like the idea of 
of um, you know him experimenting with his sexuality um, or or gender identity or, or whatever, and then because you would still have Jesse and Celine be quite important characters in these films, uh, but now we're putting them. On, we still get to see what they're up to every nine years, but not an entire film based on. We get to see Jesse uh, dealing with his his son's coming out or whatever, um, but through the son's eyes rather than making it. Mm. Um, that's cool. Yeah, so that's um, so yeah. That after sunrise would be the morning after a one night stand or some kind of thing when you realize that when that awkward conversation, and then after sunset, um, you know, could be at a party. Yeah, at a party. Anything a real, like that. Real then, time at a party. Yeah, and then after midnight is um, you know, you, you you're you've argued all through the night, and now it's it's past mm. midnight when we pick up where they. Without. Hmm. What about um, after sunrise, afternoon, after life? Mm. Mm. Well, I thought those ideas were great. What well are Richard? Um, and well done, you did a better, better job than me, but thank you. Well, the last thing we have to do before franchise roulette, Richard, is we have to return to our favorite segment, ranked at franchise on our letterboxd, your favorite website, uh, and your favorite <laughs> segment. What a coincidence! Mm. Um, where we rank every franchise we've ever covered, and I mean, this has got a big, not necessarily a long conversation, but it's a big deal to be talking <laughs> it's about. It's not. A, it's not a long conversation at all. <laughs> well, first of all, I think we can both agree that this is a gold star franchise, which is yeah. how we um, let people know. People, Someone actually asked about this on the Discord today. A gold star franchise is what is like, there is no bad one. It's not they're all as good as each other. It's there is there is no weak yeah. link in the franchise. Well, because, well, because yeah, they, they, someone asked... Um, because yeah, so it's, oh, it's a gold star franchise, and but we had sort of both indicated that Sunset was our favorite. I said, "What well, can't be gold star? If they have a favorite." But it, it's gold star refers more to they're not being a bad one than they're not being mm. a best one. I think. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of where to rank it, hey, look, at the moment our current crowning champion is Toy Story. The the Toy Story films are are at currently the best franchise we've ever watched and i struggled a lot this week because i know you want to put this at number one and i struggled a lot this and week just get it over and done with basically thinking like what does before the before trilogy do better than toy story because if anything they are evenly matched i think um this has taken me did you answer the question no well sort of i i guess <laughs> I guess, like, because, like, even even when I think about, like, the, the challenging aspect that I love about the before films and when I think about the maturity of it, I always wind back to, like, well, Toy Story do that as well and with an extra film. But I think I am willing to put the before trilogy above Toy Story for, for two reasons. Um, one is um, it's more interesting content-wise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I guess the other is, like, as an adult... And you know their 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 adult movies um, is does that it lend more credence to a kid's franchise? Um, yeah, and I, I I just think the Before trilogy is the most perfect film series, not mm. just that we've covered, but in existence. All right, so we'll put it at number one, I guess. With <laughs> that, with that, um, I'm not entirely sure, but I guess I that, also um, think four. I, I I know we disagree on this, but I think Toy Story four muddies the water of the Toy Story franchise a little bit. Well, you still ranked it five stars on your letterboxed. I ranked review. it four and a half stars. Wow. All right. 
now we're going to turn to Franchise Roulette, and it's my turn to make you guess like a Ooh. chump. Um, so this, of course, is this is going to be our final franchise, not of the year, but of the season. Um, and if you've never listened to our show before, uh, welcome along. Um, and on this, we're going to um, basically pull up a list of a bunch of different franchises. Rich is going to give me a random uh, number generator, and we're going to pick our next and final franchise for season six. Um, off this list uh just for full transparency sake because we're very busy we're going from the fun franchise list uh this fortnight because mm, we actually have slightly less than a fortnight to record yep so all that means is that they're less taxing franchises of no more than four films yep. so still it's still very <laughs> you know this it could still be anything i'll remove the before trilogy from the list all right richard give me a random number 38 38 yeah, I'm looking directly at 38 when you said that. And you were thinking, God, I hope it's not this. All right, number 38, Richard. Um, it is technically, it's a four-film franchise, um, being that there is the third film in this franchise is a crossover with another franchise which only has one movie in it. But both franchises are more known for their televisual appearances than their cinematic appearances. <laughs> uh, is it animated? It's animated, yep. Uh, is it Disney? No. Uh, is it Nickelodeon? It is Nickelodeon. Is it Jimmy Neutron? No. Is it Feel the Odd Parents? No. <laughs> um, is it uh, the, uh, uh, the fucking Rugrats go wild? It's the fucking Rugrats, bro. <laughs> so, for our final franchise of the season, we're going to be covering the Rugrats, the movie, the Rugrats, the movie in Paris, and then we'll probably do the Wild Thornberries movie, and then the Rugrats go wild. Which Is there a, rug- is there a Wild Thornberries movie? Yes, there is, and it crashes the two franchises together in holy matrimony. I've been wanting to do this series for a long time. I, I'm you excited. Fuck don't shut up about it <laughs> i just think it's great i think rugrats are fun it'll be cool too oh, yes i remember the wild thumbrace movie now yeah yeah so that'll be our last episode of the season i think uh, it's a good yeah. one to, to end on yeah. yeah well i am drenched in sweat i am <laughs> i would love to end it here um well if you guys uh would like to um support cold popture and our sweaty boys our sweaty asses <laughs> on all the different places please consider um you can follow us on instagram and twitter you can also support our patreon patreon.com slash and you can also join our discord in the show notes where you can come and tell us what you thought of this episode and what you think of the next episode and what your expectations are um and stay tuned for after this music ends where i'm sure you'll hear a very quick post-credit scene <laughs> <laughs> This post-credit scene contains spoilers for season two of Fleabag. This post-credit scene will also contain spoilers for the X-Files. Cool. Welcome along to the post-credit scene. This is a segment at the end of each episode where if you give us $5 or more over at patreon.com slash then you get to give us something to talk about. And this, the post-credit scene, Richard, I know you're hot. I know you're sweaty. What is? Didn't you tease this? Didn't you say did. we were going to? So this is from Michael DeVos, um, who wrote. My question is: What two characters had great romantic chemistry in film where they didn't get together? My example is Finn and Poe from the new Star Wars trilogy. Seemed like they were into each other mm. more than anyone else. Oscar Isaac confirmed in an interview that he and John Boyega played it that way. Mm. Yeah, it's. Um, 
I think that yeah, there's a lot of like bro chemistry um, you see a lot. And I, I was trying to think of like a platonic male and female friendship that had great chemistry. But I think the point of a lot of platonic male and female friendships is that they do end up together um, in movies. Anyway, Danny but, um, Phantom and the, the goth chick. Sam, yeah. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good one. I Another one, um, uh, like um, uh, in the Oceans movies, um, Brad Pitt and George Clooney. Oh, like yeah. when you when you put two actors together that are known for just having chemistry with anyone, and to to expand the sort of definition of not getting getting or ending up together, some of the the best chemistry I've ever seen in anything of two characters that don't end up together in the end, um, uh, Fleabag season two. Yeah, man. Um, like. Oh my god! Spoilers for Fleabag. That's a a great call. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, uh, because but I think again, that's one of those things. But like, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is obviously just like such a love, especially as Fleabag is just like you, you just Mm. you just love her so much. And Andrew Scott is just like a fucking charisma machine. Like Mm. he, that dude has chemistry with everyone, and. I think the the two of them together is like ah oh, some of the spiciest, most delicious yeah, chemistry you'll ever see. I thought it was great. And once I finally watched it after being convinced to um, <laughs> Also gonna- um and Paddleton, uh Mark ah. Duplass and Ray Romano. Yeah. So good. I'm just going to put this at the start of the post credit scene. This post credit scene contains spoilers for season two of Fleabag. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to take that out of there. It's still going to remain in there. Um, my answer is kind of complicated to this because uh, I think the the most palpable chemistry I've ever seen in something where they didn't get together for a long time, but eventually did, um, is Mulder and Scully yeah. and the X-Files because what I think made that so palpable is the actors so clearly were ready to take it there but the showrunner the creator of the show didn't want to and so kind of by accident created this like tantalizing will they won't they that went for way too long yeah different Um, creative voices fighting each other yeah yeah and um because of this i I just found their relationship when i first watched the x-files i found it so fucking enticing and interesting and they kind of before they do officially get together they play with it in some really fun ways like there's an episode where someone has there's like a body snatcher that has taken the form of Mulder, and he nearly kisses scully and like you know like so it's got stuff like that where it's like the like one character is showing their true feelings and Mm. and and to be honest what's even more tantalizing about it is even the fact that they have spoilers for this pod this post credit scene will also contain spoilers for the x-files um is that by the end of the seas the series and like these these stupid revival seasons they did Mm, um, reese darby got with scully yeah yeah but they have a they have a child in them Right. But the, the weirdest thing about the X Files is it's not really a hundred percent sure where the child came from. <laughs> <laughs> like it's one of the weirdest things where like it's like they want them to have a child together, but they don't want to ever say they actually had sex. So right. very tantalizing. <laughs> yum yum yum. 